CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to this edition of To Every Man and Answer. We're so glad you've joined us as we get together every weekday afternoon at this time, answering questions about the Bible from the Bible, looking at what the world is going on, how does it tie into biblical prophecy, and what we hear in church. Is it even in the Bible at all? If you've been reading your Bible as well, have questions. Someone's asked you a question. That's why we like to make ourselves available, so you give people a good answer for the, that faith that God has put inside each one of us. And so that number to call again, 8888-ASK-CSN is the number to call. You can be part of the program today. Joining me today, special guest, Pastor John Randall from Calvary Chapel, OC, Southern Orange County, down by um, San Clemente. Hi and welcome. Hey, Mike. Great to be with you here today on this Tuesday. God bless you. Yeah. So we're looking forward to being with you and uh, as well. And so, um, again, if you have a question, that number to call, 8888-ASK-CSN. Love to talk to you. And John, what are you going through on Sunday morning? Well, Sunday morning, we just entered into the Sermon on the Mount. What a powerful message. It's hard to even comment, Mike, on the Sermon of Jesus because it's perfect. It actually, you know, you can't be critical of Jesus's message. His message is, well, it reveals what's in us. So Sermon on the Mount on Sundays. And then uh, on Wednesdays, we are currently in the book of Galatians and going through that letter that Paul wrote, encouraging the church to stand fast in that liberty that they've received as believers. So important in these days to understand why we believe what we believe, and earnestly contend for the faith. Again, the number 8888-ASK-CSN, and we might as well go ahead and go to the phones. We have Olga on the line, Tucson, Arizona. Hi, welcome. Hi. Um, Again, thank you for being such a blessing in our lives. I've learned a lot. So um, my question is, what can you tell me about Michael Heiser? Have you heard of him, and what can you tell me about him as far as I don't know anything. Uh, uh, John, your thoughts? Michael Heiser. Can you give us a little more information, Olga? How would we know him? Um, is he a pastor? Is he an evangelist? Uh, what can a, you tell us about him? I guess he's a, he's a pastor, and a lot of people are listening to him, and he's got a website, and it's Dr. Michael Heiser. It's either Heiser or Heisner. I'm not sure, um, but I don't know. Um, he seems a little off doctrinally to me. Um, what did he say that caused you to say that? Well, he was talking about um, the word Elohim, and he was talking about how demonic spirits are not what we think they are. And so he got into this whole deal about Elohim. Some people think of Elohim as, you know, being the, the Trinity and, you know, the the verse in Genesis about, um, you know, let us make man in our image. And then he started talking about how Elohim can also mean gods with little g. And so then he started talking about that could be 
you know, other gods, quote unquote, meaning demonic spirits, et cetera, et cetera. No, he's, he's and off so, there. That, that's, <laughs> that's bad, bad news because again, uh, it could mean, well, no, you're, he's wrong because if you look at the context of Elohim in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very clearly, that is not talking about demons. Demons are not a procreative force. So you've got a real problem here just right out of the—you don't even have to go to the rest of the Bible. If you got Genesis 1-1 messed up, you're going to be in trouble in the rest of the book. Your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with you on that, Mike. I'm looking up. He does have a website, Dr. Michael S. Heiser. It's kind of unique. Just questions—a lot of questions being asked about the paranormal, which is very— uh, it gives me a little bit of a heads up when I just I read it. He has a podcast called the Naked Bible Podcast. That also bothers me. So I don't, you know, I don't exactly know enough about him to actually comment, having not really done much research. I've never heard of him before, um, which, you know, doesn't necessarily mean. But but just looking at what I'm looking at, it's it's a little the, the check in my spirit uh, as I'm as I'm looking at what I'm reading here. Uh, it, it would give me some concern and. Uh, and especially, Mike, what you just mentioned. Yeah, we want to be careful when we look at stuff like that. Uh, like I say, I don't know. I don't know the man's ministry. I don't know anything, you know, and that may or may not be the case uh, uh, of what we talked about. But I, I think if there's a check in your heart over to Olga, and I, I think that that's an important thing. I, I think further research, uh, of course, is is important. But um you know, Jesus said, rejoice not that that you have power over the devil, but rejoice that your name's written in the book of life. And that's where I generally direct people to. Uh, I think um, I, I'm always a little leery about, just as you said, John, ministries that uh, deal a lot in the paranormal and things like this, because um, remember, the devil is still God's devil. Uh, the demons are still God's demons. I mean, God still has the ultimate call over these things. And so that's why I don't give that a lot of thought. We remember uh, in the book of Jude, when Satan was in contention uh, with Michael over Moses's body, did not bring railing accusation against the devil. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. That's all really we have to say to the devil. Always keep Jesus between you and the enemy. You'll be just fine. So, um, I, John, Mike, any last thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm looking at that this particular ministry that he has, and he says that his ministry is focused on providing resources to aid people in understanding the Bible. As such, we believe the Bible is the Word of God, and when rightly understood in context, it's true, authoritative, and without error in all its truth propositions. So it sounds like he's got a ministry that he says his doctrinal commitment is in concert with the Apostles' Creed, etc. Uh, th that's basically what I have to go on. All that I would say to you, Olga, is if something uh, that is said, we need to check what, what anybody says to the Scriptures, and that's going to help us know whether it's truth or error. And um, th that's pretty much all we have to go on as far as what, what you can find online there. So I hope that helps. Yeah, that helps a lot. I, you know, I I kind of have a, I get leery when I hear people say they have a fuller truth or, you know, or, or there's more to a definition in the Bible than what's seen. And I just, it just kind of gave me a check in spirit. And I wasn't sure exactly why, but I thought I'd check with you guys. So thank you very much. 
Well, God bless you. Again, uh, context is everything. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, which is the word Elohim, speaking of the plurality of God, created the heavens and the earth. Uh, I don't th- th- see that there's any wiggle room on that. Uh, let us make man in our image. Uh, the Bible says God's a triune being, and we are a triune bu- being. We have a body, mind, and spirit. And... Um, God told Adam and Eve, the day you did the tree, the day you'll die. And we remember that they didn't fall down dead when they ate of the tree. But something, in fact, did die very seriously, that spirit that was in them. And that's why Jesus said in John 3, Marvel not that I say to you, to a religious leader, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So, again, this is why it's so important. Olga, stay on line. We'll send you out some books, DVDs, and uh, Movie Jesus. I think you'll enjoy it. Let's go to Wendy. Greenville, South Carolina. Hi, welcome. Hi, Pastor. How are you today? Good. How may we help? Oh, uh, yes. Um, I was just wondering if you can talk to me a little bit more about uh, about how how many sins does Jesus forgive us of? I was hearing a program about um, somebody w- was saying that people were committing sins and um i'm a born again christian and i mm-hmm. believe that no matter how many sins we uh commit that jesus died on the cross for the all the sins that we committed not that i'm looking to commit sins at all but um i feel guilty if i commit a sin and i know i've committed it and i, I try to repent of them but um I, I don't want any of my brothers and sisters in Christ to think that um, to be told by people that they're no good piece of crap Christians because they are sinners. We're all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And well, we'll who never told you? Hold, first of all, Wendy, real quickly, who told you that if you sin, you're no good? Well, um, well <laughs> I've always known that I've been a sinner. Um, that's been pounded into my head since, since as far back as I can remember. I'm 56 years old, but um, the world, maybe say in everyone, uh, if no matter, matter as far back as I can remember, the even going back, even in Sunday school, I have never forgotten that I've been a sinner. That has just always been pounded in my head. But now I remind my brothers and sisters in Christ that we're all sinners. Every single one of us are sinners. And there's nothing that only God can clean us and cleanse up of our sins. So, um, I try to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ that we're always, unfortunately, unfortunately, when we become a born again Christian, we don't stop sinning. And well, no, the, the heart of God is that that we would learn from our mistakes. Sin never does us good; it always does us harm. John, your thoughts? Well, in First John chapter one, verses seven through nine, it says, "But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another." And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, well, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says it very clearly. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. But even as a Christian filled with the spirit of God, I don't become sinless. Hopefully, I sin less. That is the goal. I don't sin as much as I used to. God is working in my life. And when I do sin, like you said, Wendy, we are convicted. And I turn from my sin. I repent. And the Lord cleanses me and forgives me. I continue to walk forward with him in this process of sanctification where the Spirit of God is making me more like Jesus. So praise God that there is forgiveness, Mike. Amen. And um, again, sinning doesn't make you a sinner. Sinning proves what we are. But we're sinners saved by grace. Um, and, uh, again, to remember that, um, we, we just want to remember that, that Jesus is what makes us holy. Nothing we do in ourselves. I think it's so important. Wendy, I hope that helps with you. And, and again, to, uh, again, Jesus Christ, the, the author and finisher of our faith, it's not something we generate in ourselves. It's something God does for us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was hoping that um, I could get the answer for myself and everybody else listening that, yes, we all are sinners, but it's Jesus that will cleanse us, and hopefully we won't want to sin, and the Holy Spirit will help us in our walk. And I just wanted yep. to help see if you can help me with that. Paul says, as sinners, I am chief. He didn't say I was chief. He said, I am chief. Now, that would be present tense which means though he is forgiven, he still recognizes that old sin nature that would love to drag us away from the presence of God. Always be found in Christ. Stay in line, Wendy. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. So great, uh, great for witnessing evangelism and the movie Jesus. Stay in line. We'll get those out to you. We'll go to Rusty, Missouri. Hi, welcome. Hello. Uh, Hi, yes, how may I we help? Hey, yeah, hey, um, at our church, we're doing a study on Revelation, and I had a quick question about the second letter, the letter to Smyrna. Um, he mentions 10 days in there. Now, uh -huh. for clarity, I, I think that's kind of just saying that there's a defined time period, not specifically 10 days, but I'm not sure how, and there's no interpretation, you know, Revelation typically follows with an interpretation, but there's no explaining of what that 10 days is. Well, the only other place we can go then is what does the Bible, through the Bible, talk about ten, the number 10. 10 in the Bible has always been the number of testing. You have the 10 commandments. You had the 10 lepers that were healed. Only one came back and said, thank you. Um, so in the Bible, when we see the number 10, it is reflective of, of, of a testing. Your thoughts, John? Well, it does. There is a testing that's going on. You know, the church of Smyrna, I'm just looking at right up uh, here in my Bible, uh, Rusty, that, you know, these things says the first and the last who was dead came to life. I know your works, tribulation, poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy and those who say they are Jews and are not a synagogue of Satan. Don't fear any of these things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation. 10 days and be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. And so um, it appears that the church in Smyrna was an actual, was it just 10 days you're going to be tried or was this the Lord giving them insight that, that you are going to, you're going into a season right now 
where you're going to be tested, you're going to be tried, you're going to come through it, you're going to get through this, but it's not going to be without um, a refining process. And I think one thing I love about these letters, Rusty, is you know they were written to churches then, but they also apply to the church today. And I, there are areas where the church is being far more persecuted than it is in the United States, but we're seeing more and more of this testing and tribulation coming from all different places. And there is a testing that we go through. And uh, I think that the promise is that we're going to come through it. And I'm sure there's listeners even today, Mike, that are in the, the midst of being tried and tested in some way, maybe for even sharing the gospel or being a light. And yet God brings us through those things. And so it's, it's a really good question you ask. Yeah. And and to know definitively, is it only just 10 days or is it a season of time? That I, I, I can't really say, but I can fairly well, I think we both can fairly well say, because the number 10 is mentioned, it is directly related to testing uh, and and to find out. Now, remember, all the way through the Bible, when the Bible says and talks about trials and testings that we we go through. The test is never meant to destroy the person. The test is meant to prove the person. As an example, you take a pacemaker, for instance. Those pacemakers, before they're put into your body, if you need one, are rigorously tested. The test is not designed to destroy the pacemaker. It's meant to show whether the pacemaker will fail and what the weakness is. And so understanding that it isn't that God's trying to be mean by giving us some tests that that we don't know anything about, but rather it's to prove and to show us if there's a weakness, what do I need to do to bolster that area where the weakness is giving way so it won't give way when the next trial comes? And so I believe it's very important when we understand the nature of God's testing all the way through the Bible is not meant to crush the person. It is meant to reveal the flaws so that God then can minister and heal those areas and shore up what needs to be built up. And I believe that's so important because sometimes uh, we we it's when we go through things that we learn. And so, uh, at least prayerfully, uh, and that's what we want to do. Hope that helps, Rusty. Yep. I do have one other question, if I can, real quick. Sure. Um, the uh, It mentions Babylon will be destroyed in one day. Um, what is your thoughts on Babylon? I've heard it's the monetary system. I've heard it's the actual city of Babylon that's going to be rebuilt. But that doesn't seem consistent. Either, neither one of those actually seem consistent with the, the explanation and how I understand it. Um, because a Babylon to be rebuilt would take a long time, and I don't think we get that much time. But beyond that, uh, and, and the monetary system is a system, but it speaks as a place and not a system. So I, I'm just curious on what your thoughts are on that. Well, as far as being destroyed in a day, that's not hard. I mean, I mean, uh, you remember the crash of, of uh, you know, the, the began the Great Depression. That happened in a day. Um, you remember, um, you know, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, where the atomic bomb was dropped on them. That leveled the town in a few seconds, not even a day. So I think that as far as it being a physical destruction, yes, that's possible. Is it possible for it to be an economic disaster where 
you know, like like what we're finding now, everybody's uh, borrowing money and everything only to find out there's no gold to back up our dollar. It's just being printed funny money. That's what's causing our inflation. But that's where the problems are coming from. And one day somebody says, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> there's no gold, nothing to back any of this up and the whole thing crashes. Well, I believe that's very, very much a real thing. Now, we have a we have a religious Babylon system. We have a economic Babylon system. John, your thoughts? I agree with you. You know, when you look at that, Rusty, and you think about the Babylon of of old in the days of Daniel, they were a world dominating superpower. They were in charge of the world. And there was, of course, Nebuchadnezzar. And he saw that statue and how that eventually the kingdoms of the world began to whittle down and and there would be one kingdom in the end. And it would rule, but the Bible makes it clear it's going to it's going to come to an end. It's going to eventually come to nothing. It's going to be completely destroyed. But the interesting thing is that that Babylon in, you know, later on is much like the old Babylon, you know, politically, economically, uh, with its idolatry, all of it, it's going to stand. But I do believe that what it says in one day. When our king comes again, it, all all the kingdoms of this world are going to come to nothing. They're going to be destroyed in a day. And in that day, uh, the whole economic system, they're going to mourn. They're going to weep and say, what happened? Basically, the kingdoms of this world are, are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he's going to reign forever. You go to the next chapter in chapter 19, you see the second coming of Christ, and you find him coming back on a white horse with a sharp sword proceeding out of his mouth, and with it, he strikes the nations, and then he uh, removes the Antichrist, and the Babylon that the Antichrist is ruling over is wiped out, and Jesus begins to establish his kingdom on the earth. And so I, I do believe that that will indeed happen. So I, ho- I hope that helps, Rusty. Yeah, I, I wasn't doubting whether it would happen. I just, my question is actually, where is it? Is it Babylon the city? Is it New York oh, City? Because the the uh, all the the trading is done in New York City. The the uh, UN is in New York City. So that's that's kind of where I'm really looking for is, you know, because I I think it would be a physical place by the wording in the in the scripture. It sounds like a physical place and not a a structure of uh, like it, it a monetary does. It, it does. It it sounds and for many many years and many people still believe that New York City is what that is speaking of. However, because America is not clearly defined in the Book of Revelation, as if we're not even here. I, I don't know. Now, some people actually say, well, it could be, and they could actually rename Dubai Babylon. We don't know down the road. Dubai is also a world trade center right now and rapidly outpacing, uh, a, a, uh, falling apart America, New York City. Uh, people are very much aware of that. So there is that possibility of the city. If you look at uh, Dubai, uh, UAE, United Arab Emirates, um, uh, you will see some amazing things. They have a giant indoor ice uh, 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 snow hill uh, there where you can go snow skiing in the middle of the desert. They have ice rinks. They have huge shopping malls. They have vending machines. That instead of dispensing Coca-Cola or some other, some other soda pop you like, it just, it, it drops out gold bars. Incredible what they have there. And so I think it's very possible 
that if there's a disruption in the United States, which I do not see is too hard to, to grasp, I believe that there will be something quickly put together that will take its place. And where Dubai is already there in the Middle East, it may very well be that they may, who knows, even rename it. Now, in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about Babylon, that it won't be rehabited. It'll be the habitation of jackals and owls and things. And yet you find it reappearing in Revelation. So is this the same Babylon that um, uh, uh, it will be rebuilt? Or is it maybe another Middle Eastern city that possibly is even renamed? Don't know. Your thoughts? Well, again, I do believe that there will be, we we know that there's going to be a one world currency. There's going to be a one world government and where the, and a one world religion. These are the things that the world is clamoring for at this moment. So I do believe that there will be an economic structure in place, a one world currency, because you're not going to be able to buy or sell once the church is gone and the mark is given. The Bible makes that clear. So wherever that economic system is and wherever that capital of the Antichrist is located and wherever these kingdoms are established and they will be, here's what we know for sure. They're all going to come to nothing. I do believe the economic system is going to be it's going to be destroyed. I do believe these things, they're going to come to nothing because the kingdom of the Lord is going to be revealed. So that's kind of where I stand on that as I read through Revelation. Yeah. So I think really, uh, as it goes along, Rusty, I, I think there's going to be a lot more. I, I mean, even even just now, us being able to look at biblical prophecy, what Jesus said in Luke 21, Jerusalem be trodden down by the Gentiles for the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Well, up to 1948, that was was really a, a verse that really didn't make any sense. Now we find even after the, the six day war in 1967, where Israel got the other half of the city of Jerusalem, now it makes perfect sense. And I think as it goes along, I think more of this will be revealed. And especially for those that are here during the tribulation period. Now you got to remember that in the book of Revelation, the Bible says, uh, that if you don't take the mark, um, you can't buy or sell. And most likely you'll be martyred. This is what we find in Revelation chapter 6, this huge number of people that John did not recognize. He said, who are these? And the angel said to him, he says, well, beats me. He goes, these are the martyrs that came up out of the, the tribulation period. Now, when you realize that you will be challenged, uh, maybe in a life or death situation, you're going to need the Bible extremely clear to bolster your faith because... Um, I'm not going to bet on a bad horse, but when I see the Bible accurate all the way through the book of Revelation, uh, and it comes time to die, if you're one of the people that gets saved during the tribulation, well, hey, uh, you'll have the faith to do that. We're coming up on a break, everyone. We don't want you to go away. We'll have more right after this. We'll be right. Hey, this is Brant along with Sherry here. And so you hear me doing these spots for MediShare, and Sherry actually helps me with them. I get people actually in person saying, okay, Brant, for real, do you recommend this? Like, Yeah. Uh, for real, I actually do. I'm not just saying stuff. So family, friends ask me about it. I'm like, yes, you should look into this. It's really a great option for a lot of people. That's what I tell people. My experience has been, MediShare has been 
fantastic for me. Yeah. It's so different from health insurance in a lot of great ways, honestly. Yeah. And see, a lot of people who've switched tell me that it's the same reaction. They're very, very happy with it and it gives them peace of mind and saves them a lot of money. I would tell people, look into it. Yep. Uh, so really, for reals, uh, if you want to talk to them, they're great to talk to. I think you'll be impressed and happy you looked into it. So um, you do the phone number. I'm actually tired of doing all the phone numbers. <laughs> okay. Call now. 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Nice job. Thanks. Does the Bible seem too big, complicated, and overwhelming? There's a free Bible resource that's been around for more than 25 years and is used and trusted by millions worldwide. The Enduring Word Bible Commentary by David Guzik is a clear and simple way for everyday Christians and even seasoned Bible teachers to study God's Word. David's commentary not only breaks down the entire Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it also provides helpful quotes from well-known Bible expositors throughout history. The commentary has also been translated into many languages, including Spanish, Arabic, Chinese, and more. Find the Enduring Word Bible Commentary as well as a free downloadable e-book called The King's Kingdom, a deeper look at the Sermon on the Mount by David Guzik at EnduringWord.com forward slash CSN. That's EnduringWord.com forward slash CSN. We want to welcome you back to Tuesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer with John Randall. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and we're going to go right back to the phones. We had Rusty on the line, and again, uh, John, any last thoughts? No, I think we pretty much covered it, Mike, concerning uh, just the, the good news is that one day Jesus is going to establish his kingdom, and that is exciting to me because we're going to be a part of it. Amen. And so that's what we look forward to. Rusty, I hope that helps. It sure did. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys' show. Well, God's good. Stay in line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy in the movie Jesus. And with that, we'll go to Larry Lawton, Oklahoma. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hi. Yes, Mike. I was wanting to know if it's possible that the Roman Catholic Church, along with the Pope, the Pope being possibly being the being the Antichrist, uh, and that the Roman Church. Uh, Catholic Church, um, of course, Biden claims to be a Catholic. Um, could all these people be a part of uh, the uh, the last the, the Antichrist system? Well, I, I do believe that the the Catholic Church is going to be uh, most likely a player uh, in the One World Church because a couple of reasons. Number one. They, Rome is considered the city that sits on seven hills. The Bible talks about this particular uh, place. Now, number two, the Catholic Church has an immense amount of wealth, uh, the Vatican and all. And when we understand how far they have deviated from the true Word of God, the Catholic Church has, where now the uh, Pope is the vicar for God, he speaks on God's behalf, what he says becomes Scripture, all this kind of crazy stuff. 
Even though the Bible says don't add or take away from this book, it seems that willy-nilly, freely, they just do whatever they want to to Revelation and all the other books, uh, basically uh, uh, replacing that father-child relationship that God wants to have with us with an earthly, where we call a priest father, or also we look at the Pope as as uh, basically like a Christ on earth. So we've got a lot of issues here, extremely powerful. We we see almost almost um, on a regular occurrence now, they'll come out with something that's blatantly forbidden in Scripture that is being accepted um, um, by by them in the world. Your thoughts? Well, I think where people come up with that idea, and it, as, as Pastor Mike said, from Revelation chapter 17, verse 9, when it mentions the, the seven heads or seven hills on which the woman sits, and it talks about the Antichrist and his kingdom and those that are going to rule with him, that's usually where we where we pick it up from. And I think it's it's a real possibility. You know, John tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. So the spirit of Antichrist, that which is anti-Jesus, that which is, and this is, we're certainly seeing this from much of the government in which we live in and so many places around the world, the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well. It's just a matter of time before the Antichrist actually shows up. I believe that we're going to be gone before he arrives, but nonetheless, the spirit and the attitude of Antichrist and I tell you what, having been to Rome, Mike, myself, and having visited it for the uh, not that long ago, I remember touring Vatican City. You know, you have to have a passport to go in there, and it's its own city. And you go through there, and I remember walking through with the tour guide and being overwhelmed by all of the idols, all of the statues, the idols that they that have come through. And I asked her, what are all of these idols for? And she said, well, we want to know where we've come from. And I asked her, well, how can you, how, and I just started to share with her, how do you know that you can be saved? And this is a committed Roman Catholic church. And uh, uh, I should say patron, someone who goes, she said that she was told by the Pope, not personally, but it was said to everybody, if you visit these four cathedrals, then you can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven. Mike, that is a false gospel presented by the Roman Catholic Church. You can't visit a cathedral and be saved. You can only be saved through Jesus Christ. Also, you'll find there that they have Mary on the other side of the cross, that she is somehow a co-redeemer. No, no, there is only one redeemer, and that is Jesus Christ. So it doesn't surprise me, and it wouldn't surprise me if there was some influence of the false prophet in Roman Catholicism because of the false doctrine, Mike, that they teach. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I think they're, I think they're definitely a player and, and will more than willing homogenize. And in fact, the Pope said when uh, at this uh, conference, it was, I believe it was in Egypt or whatever, said that, oh yeah, the Buddhists, Hindus, we all worship the same God. No, we don't. Flat out, pure and simple. No, we don't. And this is where, uh, I believe people that if they don't know their Bible, it doesn't matter what man says, the Pope says, I say it matters what God's word says. We better know what God's word says because otherwise I believe some man can deceive you. Remember the Pope puts his shoes on just like you and me, puts his coat on just like you and me. This is, he's not God. Um, there's only one mediator, the Bible says, between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. So important to know. It's not a church, it's not a bishop, it's not an elder, it's not a pastor. It's only Jesus Christ. Hope that helps, Larry. 
Yes, I answered it. Uh, I do believe they're thick with the Antichrist, the Catholic. I, I think they're going to be uh, absolutely a player. Uh huh. I do, um, because of their of their desire to to in in the in this ecumenical idea that we all worship the same God. Well, that's going to be really, I believe, the first part of the one world order and the one world religion is it's going to be Chrislam or coexist, as you see the bumper stickers, including all the little uh, parts of religion from all the different uh, groups in the world. But then at the abomination which makes desolate, the Antichrist scraps the very world religion that he built and says, now he must be worshipped instead, that he is God. And this is when Jesus said, don't even go back in your house to get your coat, just run for the hills. Larry, hope that helps. Stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy it. Great for evangelism in the movie Jesus. Let's go to Shannon, Reno, Nevada. Hi, and welcome. Hi there. Um, I'm calling in today because um, my immediate family, um, specifically my brother, my aunt, my mom, and my cousin, they're all believing that Jesus is not God. And I've given them scripture upon scripture to try to show them that that is not the case, that he is indeed God in human form. And my brother keeps claiming about the Davidic covenant and how Jesus is the now, is reigning as king now on the Davidic throne. None of this is making sense to me. And so I just, I want to give them some more information to just help um, guide them to salvation, honestly, because I feel this is a salvation issue. It is. It is, because it's another Jesus than the Bible speaks of. John eight fifty eight is where you want to take them, because this is where Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. If you look at the original language, or even if you go back and look at the burning bush that Moses spoke to, who shall I tell the people of Israel sent me to set you people free? And God spoke out of the bush saying, tell them the I am sent you. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And with that, John eight fifty nine, it says, and they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Claiming to be God was a capital offense. It required your shed blood to make up for that outlandish, insane remark that you made claiming to be God. But Jesus, in fact, was God. And when we go to Matthew chapter 1, he shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Says that, reads just like that in your King James Bible. He shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's who Jesus is. And so they've gotten evidently into something, your family, that is very, very, um, uh, this is one of the eye marks of a cult. Jesus is not God and that there's no real eternal hell. Those are the two eye marks of a cult. Every one of them have that. It's annihilation. It's a beautiful place. Hell is, or, or some, they always have the deity of Jesus messed up and hell is not a, a, a place of torment or a, a literal place. You know, and, and these are the, the, this is something that we always have to be very much aware of when we're talking to people. And, and certainly at the end of the program or end of the call here, dear, we'll send you out some books and DVDs. But, um, John, your thoughts. 
Well, you know, it's amazing to me because Jesus knew who he was and his enemies knew who he was and his disciples knew who he was and especially his enemies because it says in John chapter 10, verse 33, the Jews answered Jesus and they said, it's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus didn't deny that. Those were his words. He was claiming deity. And they said, for that reason, blasphemy, we're going to put you to death. You go down to, as Mike mentioned, John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus took the very title that God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush when God said, I am that I am has sent you. Jesus took that title for himself, which was the title for God, applied it to himself, and they knew what it meant. Fast forward to the book of Acts. Certainly his followers knew who he was. You think about there in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when it, when they were saying uh, that they were to be, Paul was exhorting the elders on the shores of Miletus, and he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, listen to this, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. God obtain the church with his own blood. Who's that speaking of? It's speaking of Jesus. And Jesus is God. And so it's really important to remember that. And again, I think you just have to deny scripture. You just have to, you're, as Mike said, you're probably in some cult. You're probably in somewhere where they're, they're saying he's the son of God. He's not God. Friends, listen, he is God of very God. All of the attributes and characteristics, they are ascribed to Jesus. He is God. And it's important that we understand that because if you deny the deity of Jesus, you're not saved. So I hope that helps. It does tremendously. I've given him um, 858, um, John 858, and uh, Matthew. Um, I've I've given him all of that. I will give it to him again. I I pray for them daily. It's it's so frustrating that they just don't believe. And I've even told them this is a salvation issue. Please get right. Shannon, what yeah. church do they go to? Do you have a name of it? Is there some, what is there? I mean, not the, I don't know if you can say, but I'm just curious, like, Hey, what, what avoid that? If, if there's a denomination like that, that's teaching Jesus isn't God. Well, that's the sad thing is that they don't go to church because they feel that church has been corrupted by man and that they are essentially the way I see it, the way that they explain it to me, that they're better off studying on their own. And I've spoke against this as well. I go to a Calvary ch- uh, church here and I, you know, please just come with me, like come to my church, but they just refuse. And it's, again, it's just so frustrating. Yeah, it is frustrating because they're, they're, you know, and, and they claim that they're a believer in God. They, they claim they believe in the Bible, but you show them in the Bible where they're wrong and they don't believe it. So they, they're, you know, what's the old saying? My mind's made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. That's where they're at right now. And, uh, again, this is a, a real serious problem, uh, that we find, um, in the cults and in individual groups. Because again, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Father, we just pray that you would give Shannon the right words to say to her family. Lord, that you would convict their hearts and reveal to them who you are and Jesus, who you are in their lives. We ask you this, and please reach out to them. Save them, God, in your precious name. Amen. Shannon, our prayers are with you. Stay online. We'll send you out some books and DVDs. Thank you so much. 
saying God bless you, and I'm glad that uh, glad you called. And if we're if you need anything else, we're here for you. Okay. Thank you so much. Amen to you guys. Shannon, God bless you, dear. And uh, stay on line. We'll get those materials out to you. Let's go to Paul, Longview, Washington. Hi, welcome. Well, hello, sir. I have to be brief because uh, I've got an employer looking over shoulder here. Okay, Um, okay. Can you give me, is there a, a definition in the Bible of sin? I hear everybody saying that you have, um, you know, you're a sinner, which I I believe you're a sinner, you're going against God or whatever. But is there a, uh, is there a definition? And is is it like going against the commandments? Or do you, do if you're a New Testament person, do you even worry about keeping the commandments? I, this whole religion thing is very confusing to me, and I, if you don't mind, I will listen on the air because uh, over the air because I've got to hang up, keep the phone tied, not tied up. Well, if you like, if you like, very quickly, when you hang up, give the operator uh, your your address, and I'll send you out some things I think will really help you a lot, and um, uh, we'll we'll do that for you. So. Just give me your address. We'll get that out to you uh, just really quick, and I think it'll really answer a lot of your questions for you. Your thoughts, John? Well, the Bible uh, describes sin as transgression of the law of God. I would say, Paul, First um, John chapter 3, verse 4 says it this way, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. First John chapter 3, verse 4. So it is violating the law of God. It's going against what God says in his word. That is that is what sin is. It's actually defined as missing the mark. God has a standard, and the standard is perfection. We have all fallen short of it. There is none righteous, no, not one. We're all in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ, and and we all we all have sinned and fallen short of that. But if we confess our sins, even as we said earlier in the program, we can be forgiven. Jesus died for our sin, but sin is is the practice of lawlessness, Mike. Amen. And uh, Paul, I hope that answers it for you. I know you had to go, but uh, I, I hope that, and the Bible says we've all sinned come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so we were born into sin. Now, again, remember, sin doesn't make you a sinner. Sin proves what you are. And again, this is really important because we somehow think that, well, I'm I'm not as bad as somebody else. One sin will keep us from the presence of God. But the good news is Jesus Christ forgave us of our sins, those transgressions, God's best for us that we rebelled against. God says he will give us a new life and forgive our sins. And from now on, our life is not meant for sinning, but for the glory in the kingdom of heaven, being about our Father's business. So I hope that answers it for you. And again, uh, if you need more questions answered, please call us. We'll do our very best to uh, answer your questions, Paul, because I want you to really be settled. I really want you to be settled in, in your faith. So important. God bless you. Let's go to Lynn, Longview, Washington. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, we were surprised at the number of individuals in our church that are watching the Chosen series. Yes. And so we spoke with the assistant pastor, and we asked what his thoughts were on it. 
he said that he watches it and he did not see anything doctrinally off, nor did he have a problem with how they portrayed the the disciples because basically they were bad people. Peter was a liar, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We were just wanting to know your thoughts on that. I I have tremendous problems. The more I really go into what is called the chosen, the more problems I have. You have a doofus Jesus in the chosen, where he is getting ready to do the Sermon on the Mount. He's rehearsing it. Mary comes in and says, you're a good son, Jesus. And Jesus said, Mom, save your compliments till tomorrow in case I mess up in front of the crowd. What? Meanwhile, the disciples are building the stage for the Sermon on the Mount, while four women are counseling Jesus how to dress properly for this grandioso occasion. I don't think you can get any farther off than that. Now listen, if you're going to do a movie, if you're going to do something um, somewhat, and you take liberties, hey, I can understand that. But when you're representing Jesus Christ, you better be one hundred percent accurate. And this show is not. It is not. And when you have Matthew with some kind of uh, disease, um, uh, Arschburgers or whatever it is, well, first of all, historically, that's a joke because he was representing the Roman government as he was a tax collector. And the Roman government didn't put people in front of another race of people like the Jews with obvious handicaps to show the weakness of Rome. No, they didn't do that. So historically, first of all, they're off. Second of all, you've got one of the other disciples that's a cripple. Now, Jesus went around healing those that were sick, those that were crippled, but he wouldn't heal his own disciples. The more I look at this program, the more problems I have with it. That Jesus was arrested before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. (laughs) That's right. Oh, it's you again. These are just horrible things that are, are, are there. Well, Jesus catches a fish. Well, you know, it's bigger than yours. Well, not really, but we're all shucking and jiving each other. I don't see that in the Bible. Never, ever misrepresent Jesus Christ. This, the Paul says, if anybody comes to you preaching another Jesus, let him be accursed. Well, let me tell you something. When you have a bumbling doofus Jesus that might mess up in his Sermon on the Mount, friends, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. Oh, but see, when and when a church tells me, well, I watch it, I don't see anything, you have just screamed at me, you do not know God's Word. Because if you knew God's Word, you could never say, I don't see anything wrong with it. It is so full of problems. As they humanize Jesus and literally strip him of his deity. These are real problems. And again, when the Bible says what it says about Jesus, never, ever take liberties and saying, well, I think Jesus really was just, you know, uh, you know, he was trying to figure it out. You know, sometimes he'd go to the disciples and ask them for advice, you know, no, a thousand times no. You have got a program with a little bit of gospel, a little bit of of, of Bible in it, and a whole lot of faults. In the third series, 
series, uh, a ser- third series, episode eight, they quote from the Book of Mormon. Now, the producer said, well, there, and he had a, some excuse why, why it was in there. I don't care why it's in there. The problem is it's in there where Jesus said, I am the law. Jesus never said that he was the law. Otherwise, we'd all still be under the law of Moses. But we're not under the law of Moses. Jesus said, I come to fulfill the law, the righteous requirements. Read John chapter 12. I kept my Father's commandments, now you keep mine. Love one another. But if you say anything, well, you're not loving. No, you guys are heretics. And that's where the big problem comes from. And if somebody in a church level doesn't see anything wrong with this program, I I I I I couldn't go to church there because it's another Jesus. And whether another Jesus comes on a couple of guys riding bicycles with suits and ties on to your door, or whether it comes through your TV screen as a doofus Jesus that yeah, he sometimes gets it wrong, just kind of you know, he's trying to figure it out, man. I have serious problems with that. Your thoughts. Well, I think the thing that troubles me now about The Chosen is the fact that, you know, when you see something like a, a film that says based on a true story, and so they they have a true story, but then they kind of add in some things with creative liberties. Well, if you want to do that about somebody's, you know, baseball career or something like that to make it more whatever you want to make it, um, okay. But here's the problem, Mike. In a recent episode, and I want to say this to you with love, um, in a recent episode, they had one of my favorite stories where Jesus is on the water, walking on the water and and in the midst of the storm, and he calls Peter out. And he has this this dialogue with Peter that is not in the Bible. And Jesus is talking to Peter about his wife, who he names Eden. The Bible doesn't say Peter had a wife named Eden. And now because of their problems, that's why God was allowing this. And the other thing that was troubling, Mike, not only was the dialogue not biblical, but the problem was they actually put a a scripture in Jesus' mouth that he did not say on the water. The scripture, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus did not say that when they were walking on the water. So you are taking scripture out of context, putting it in the mouth of Jesus. You're writing a story into um, what the Bible doesn't write, that, to me, that's a problem I, I cannot uh, support the show. When you take, you put words into Jesus' mouth. This isn't, this, this is a true story. And this is the story of the Son of God. So you don't want to put words in his mouth and take these creative liberties just so that he'll be more palatable. And, uh, and I think that's a dangerous thing. Absolutely. And so I, I, I cannot recommend it anymore. I, after really looking at it, uh, I, I just feel that it totally misrepresents who Jesus Christ is based upon the word of God. Um, 10% is probably really all you get there of the Bible. Uh, everything else is made up because people in America and pastors and lay people do not know what the Bible says. They believe, they begin to believe what they're seeing is the truth. And I've actually had people argue with me saying, no, well, we saw it uh, in, in the chosen and this is what Jesus did. And I go, they're wrong. They're lying to you. So important, friends, to earnestly contend for the faith. In these days we live. Lynn, we're out of time. I want you to stay in line, send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs, the movie Jesus, which is really based on the book of Luke. I think you'll really enjoy that. Joyce, Brooke, Jamie, please call us back. We'll get to, to your question first thing tomorrow. I promise you, no waiting. 
And um, to find out more about thanks, this John, ministry, for being on. or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 